Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. I want to read from verse 19 right through to verse 33. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. The word shall come up on screen for all who are online. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just smile? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put in him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. Now my text tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. And it reads as follows, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Now, I've entitled the message tonight, Our Lord, Kendrick Lamar, and the mockery of the crown of thorns. Now, I wonder if you've ever heard of the Festival of Performing Arts at Glastonbury. It took place this year, between the 22nd and the 26th of June, after an absence of two years due to COVID. And a number of so-called high-profile singers and performers take part each year. Now, normally, 
I take no notice of what is happening in Glastonbury. Who is doing what or saying what? But this year, I've made an exception. Because recently, it was brought to my attention that an American rapper by the name of Kendrick Lamar, supposedly one of the most influential rappers of all time, and I would question that, whatever a rapper is, a rapper's a thing that goes around a bar of chocolate or a sweet, as far as I'm concerned. But he performed at Glastonbury this year. And he appeared on stage with a crown of thorns on his head. Now, his crown of thorns was not made of real thorns. His crown of thorns was very ornate, very glamorous. It was designed by Tiffany and Co., out of New York. And inside the crown of thorns were, I'm told, 8,000 diamonds. And during his performance, he had fake blood running down his face onto his white T-shirt. And during the course of his rapping, he was protesting about the reversal of Roe and Wade by the Supreme Court in the United States of America. He, he appeared to be advocating in his message that it was okay to kill and destroy the innocent lives of babies in the womb. You see, he finished his performance with the words, they judge you, they judge Christ, God speed for women's rights. And he kept repeating that over and over again until his voice grew hoarse. And then he threw down the microphone and walked off the stage. Now, it's reported that he's been paid tens of thousands of dollars for his performance. And you know what? The crowds loved it. They cheered. They praised him. They clapped. They were pleased. They were satisfied with all that this man had said and done. Now, I have never met Kendrick Lamar. But if I ever did... I would have a message for him, and the message is this. Get that crown of thorns off your head immediately. Why? Because you are mocking my lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Your performance, your art, your message is the very opposite of what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he wore a crown of thorns in his day. You see, your very act, Lamar, is an affront to our God. It's blasphemous in regard to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not the first time that this happened. You see, for many, what he did was funny, hilarious, to mock the personal work of Christ. Another street artist, I'm told, I think this was last year, not sure if it was Glastonbury or where it was, a street artist by the name of Lil Dickey, pretended to be the Messiah. Recently, Ebony University, a so-called Christian institution, they had some presentation of artworks, and a particular artist, he presented a painting of a homosexual Jesus on the cross. And the people loved it. They think it's great. They think it's funny. 
Well, I have a message for them, whether it's Kendrick Lamar, whether it's Lil Dicky, or whether it's this particular artist who painted a, and presented a homosexual Jesus on the cross. It's not funny. It's blasphemous. It's evil and wicked. Lil Dicky has no business pretending to be the Messiah. Kendrick Lamar had no business wearing a mock crown of thorns in his production. Even Netflix, their film of what they say is a gay Jesus, has sparked a backlash recently in Brazil. And you see, I've heard the call. Chill out. Relax a bit, Pastor. Why are you getting upset? It's only art. It doesn't really matter. It's only a performance. Shouldn't the crowds love it? They think it's great. I want to tell you it does matter. Let me ask the question. Why are they not laughing and mocking at Muhammad? Why not laugh and mock at Buddha? Why are people always mocking our Lord Jesus Christ? Why is Hollywood producing films that mock our Lord Jesus Christ? Why is the music industry bent and mocking and blaspheming the Lord Jesus in his personal work? Young people, there's an answer. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. You see, the devil has an agenda. The devil's at the back of this. The devil is out to get at the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember before the fall, he was called Lucifer. You can read about him there in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. And do you know what his job was in heaven? He was one of the archangels who led the choir in heaven. Now that's telling. Now he has fallen. Now he is a full hatred for Christ and for God. And he's using musicians, he's using rappers, he's using artists, he's using actors to put forth a message that's anti-God and anti-Christian. A message that mocks and blasphemes Christ. That takes people away from the Lord Jesus in his personal work. That's why lots of music is deeply offensive. Listen to lots of music. I, I, I don't. But it's full of cursing. It's full of swearing. And it's been used to mock and laugh and ridicule our Lord Jesus Christ and his personal work. Ridicule and mock the Bible. The subject of heaven and hell. It's funny. And the devil is at the back of it. And the devil is using this. And such images to attack Christ, to help blind the hearts and minds of people. Listen to the word of God over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We read these words. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Now, if you turn tonight to our text, to Matthew chapter 27, and look with me at verse 29, we read the words, and they, that's the soldiers, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Now, this is the 
scene where the Lord Jesus has been unjustly tried before Pilate. It's really the third phase of his unjust trial. He's been to see Annas. He's been to see Caiaphas. He has been to uh, see Pontius Pilate. The Jewish leaders want him dead, but they have no right or power to execute a man by stoning. So they set him before Pontius Pilate. He's in the judgment hall. And the Jewish leaders have asked, moved the crowd so that Barabbas can be released. Pilate asked the question, what shall I do then with Jesus? Which is called the question. Here's the answer. They crucify him. And despite protesting, Pilate eventually delivered Christ into the hands of the soldiers. There's about 600 soldiers in total. We read that they scourge him. That is, they take a, a whip. We call it a cat of nine tails. Any who's watched a pirate film may be familiar with it. It's got leather straps, nine in total. Pieces of bone and metal sewn into the leather. The back of the victim is bared. And with the lash of the whip, that back can be left like a ploughed field. And in that judgment hall that day, the soldiers play what they call the king's game. So after they've scourged Christ, they bring him in. Remember, these are callous men, hardened, godless. They strip Christ of his clothing. They put on him a scarlet robe. They, they, they plait a crown of thorns and they crush it onto his lovely brow. You can see the, the blood streaming down his face. They, they put a reed in his right hand as if it was a scepter. And they bow the knee before him and they mock him. And they say, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they take the reed, 600 men, and they smite him on the head. Could you, could you think of that? Being hit on the head once that would be sore, but, but 600 times in the hand of each of these cruel, callous, hardened, godless soldiers. When I heard about Kendrick Lamar and his performance, my mind was drawn to the words in the Bible, the crown of thorns. It's mentioned four times, John 19, Mark 15, and here in Matthew 27, 29. I've already preached on it a few years ago, Mark has told me. But did you know that there's 50 other references? See, there's 54 references in the Bible to the word thorns. But there's 50 other references to the word thorns in the Bible, but only four that make a reference to a crown of thorns. So I was thinking of Kendrick Lamar and his performance, blasphemous as it is, shocking and wicked as it is. And I was thinking of the mockery of the crown of thorns. There's a couple of wee thoughts come to mind, and here was the first one. The portrayal of the crown of thorns. If you look at the text, it says, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Just isolate the words, a crown of thorns. Do you want you to think of Christ now, wearing a crown of thorns before these 600 soldiers? But there's a lot of symbolism attached to a crown of thorns. You see, when I think of a crown, I'm thinking of the picture of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know tonight that the Lord Jesus was born a king? Remember the wise men came, they asked Herod the Great, where is he that is born king of the Jews? When they soldiers bow the knee to mock Christ, what did they say? King of the Jews. See, the Lord Jesus' kingship is unique. He was born a king. He was not born to be a king in the process of time. 
He, he, he was not just born to be a king and accede the throne of Jerusalem or Judah at a later date or, or ascend one day to the throne. No, the Lord Jesus was unique because he was the only one born a king with the absolute right to rule. Remember, he's of the house and the lineage of David. He, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root out of Jesse. Uh, and there's many rightful kings to do with Judah. But the Lord Jesus was different. He wasn't waiting to be king, to ascend to the throne one day. He was born a king. And not one could question his kingship. He not only was born a king, but he lived as a king. He died as a king. He arose again triumphant as king. He's now in heaven as king of kings and lord of lords. And while on earth, even though he was born a king, lived a king, died a king, he only ever wore one crown. Isn't that striking? Don't let the symbolism pass you by. And what was that crown? Four times in the Bible, it was a crown of thorns. I want you to see that. Four in biblical numerics is very important because it speaks of completion. Four stands for uh, uh, completed things. Think of four seasons in the year. Well, four times we read of a crown of thorns adorning the lovely brow of the Lord Jesus. Not only was it symbolism of his kingship, but it was a symbolism of his manhood. I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus wearing a crown of thorns was a great part of his humiliation and life of suffering that he was born into. You see, wearing the crown of thorns symbolized his life of suffering. It symbolized the totality and humanity of, of life on earth. The Lord Jesus tonight is a king. He has a kingdom. Now, not an earthly one that's coming, glory to God, but a kingdom of grace now, a kingdom of glory that's yet to be revealed, a kingdom that's going to be given to him. But here's proof that he was a king. He was given a crown, a crown of thorns, and they bowed the knee to him. See, remember, they're playing a game. It's called the king's game. They're mocking him. But I want to ask this question. Have you ever bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Do you own him tonight as your king? Have you asked him to be king of your life, king of my life? I, I crown thee now. And remember, if you asked him to be your king and one day expect to reign with him, he asks you and expects you to suffer for him now. Suffer for his name. Suffer for his honor. Before you sit with him in glory and reign with him, he calls you to a life of pain, a life of woe, a life of trouble, a life of tribulation. In the world, he said, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Here's a life of opposition. A life of suffering. Think of Christ. This is the highest office. King of the Jews. King of his people. He's a mediatorial king. And yet he's entered into a life of pain and woe and suffering. He's not spared from that. He's not spared from a life of hardship and pain and woe. And yet all the while, during the whole of his life of his earthly experience, 
This wearing of the crown has to be seen in the context of redemption. The wearing of the crown. He's wearing it for sinners. Sinners of whom he's come to save. That's the portrayal of the crown of thorns. Something else that, that caught my attention when I thought about this. and It was the, the plaiting of the crown of thorns. You see, whenever it says, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, we'll pause there. What does that mean? Well, it means that they braided a crown of thorns together. Now, those of you who have been with us in the land of Israel, some of us have seen the thorn bushes out in that land. I'm trying to struggle with the name, so the gardeners and the horticulturalists here will forgive me, but those... Uh, Thorn bushes have thorns that are about three inches long. In other words, to plait a crown of thorns means you have to weave it very carefully. The person who's doing it's a risky job. They could prick and wound themselves. Now remember, these are trained soldiers. They're, they're trained to be cruel, trained to inflict the most terrible pain on their victims. In the amphitheater in Rome, they were throwing people to wild beasts. They were putting other people into vats of boiling oil. They were sawing people in half, and it meant nothing to them. These were men of cruelty, with a, 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 a cruel blood sport in their head, and they took pleasure in inflicting the maximum pain and woe and suffering on their victims. And this is what they're doing to Christ. The Lord Jesus was taken from prison, brought out of the judgment hall, He's put into the hands of these godless men and he's their plaything. And the first thing they do after he's been stirred with his, black, his back running red with blood, they plant a crown of thorns. You see, it's a sign of great depravity. These were mere creatures, mortal men, godless men, but they're able to take the king of the Jews, the one who's creator and maker, Strip him naked, scourge him, put on him a scarlet robe, plant a crown of thorns and put it on his lovely brow, put a reed in his right hand, bow the knee, mock him, heal king of the Jews, take the reed and smite him on the head. It's a scene of a shameful coronation. See, they're playing a game. And the devil's at the back of it. It's a satanic inspired mockery of Christ. Just like Kendrick Lamar. Like little Dickie. Like others. Kendrick Kamar doesn't realize it's a sign of great depravity that he's been used by the devil to mock Christ with a mock crown of thorns. Because when they put that crown of thorns in his head, having plotted it carefully, it was a sign of their great depravity against Christ. I'll tell you something else. It was a sign of great agony. As I've told you about the eastern thorns in the land of Israel, three inches long, and the Lord Jesus, he allowed himself to have it placed on his lovely brow. Have it crushed onto his head. Can you see the blood running down his face? I want to tell you there's nothing glamorous. What's here is gore. It's a sign of great agony. 
Could, could you? Let me tell you something about myself. Sammy knows this. I don't really like gardening. And if I get a thorn in this little finger, any one of them, I'm in tears. I, I'm, I'm ready for the hospital because I think this is dreadful. The pain is terrible. We prick with a thorn bush from a rose. Three inch thorns crushed into the brow. What pain and agony. I'll tell you something else here and it better be quick. It's a sign of great reality. Do you know that the thorns tonight speak of a curse? And when the Lord Jesus allowed that crown of thorns to be put onto his head and wore that crown of thorns, it was a sign that he was under the curse of sin. Sin, remember, is a shameful thing. All of mankind, of course, is under a curse. Turn over there to Genesis chapter 3. Let me read to you verses 17 and 18. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Now, now think of that. Cursed is the ground for your sake. The thorns and the thistles are a sign that this world is under a curse. I want to tell you it's a real curse. It's a royal curse. Keep that thought in mind and turn over there to Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. And this is what the Bible says. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And to sweat was it where great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, now link that up with Genesis 3, verse 17. Cursed is the ground. You see, this curse is real. This is a royal curse. But this curse is something for which the whole of mankind is responsible. The symbolism of the curse and the thorn is nothing to be proud of. Because when Christ wore it, he wore it being under a curse. That curse was introduced when Adam sinned. Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that curse not only affected the whole of Adam's humanity, but it affected the whole of creation. Mankind, Adam, brought the curse into the world at creation. And the fall resulted, the fall into sin. But it affected the entire creation. The ground was cursed. Thistles and thorns began to appear. That's why there's thistles and thorns. The next time, young people, you see a thistle and thorn in your garden, you remember this world is under the curse. The curse because of sin that Adam brought in. Remember the Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? He sweated as it were great drops of blood. And where did it fall to? It fell in the ground. See, the ground's the place of the curse. And at Gethsemane, I believe the Lord Jesus felt the awful rate of the curse and guilt of sin. For him, this curse was real. For him, this curse was a regal, righteous curse. For him, this curse was recognized, not a theory, 
The Lord Jesus felt the whole weight of it. He was a saviour stricken by it as he was taking the place of his people. Turn over there to Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. Let me give you a wee reference here. Listen to these words. Underline this in your Bible, please. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You see, there's a principle here. I don't want you to understand this. The Lord God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, his triune God, requires and demands of every sinner a perfect obedience to the whole law. The whole law summarized in the Ten Commandments, remember. And every man, every woman, boy, girl, young people is responsible to render a perfect obedience to the holy law of God. And those that fail, and those that refuse, and those that are rebellious, they're put under a curse. The curse of the broken law. And this rendering perfect obedience is vast, it's full, it's extensive. The law demands perfection. And mankind can't give it. Turn over there to James chapter 2 verse 10. Here's another principle. See, all this is very important in the purpose of the law. That's why the Ten Commandments are so important. And that's why there's not nine today. There's still ten, even though people protest against ten. But listen to the words in James chapter 2 and verse 10. For whatsoever, for whosoever shall keep the whole law. Notice these words, the whole law. People tell us the whole law doesn't apply today. They're mad. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Here's the principle reversed now. Think of a man trying to keep the whole law. And he's doing his best. And he feels he's blameless outwardly. Of course, he feels miserably and can't see it. But he offends in one point. He comes short in one area, one feature. And he feels in that one feature. He's guilty, the Bible says, according to James 2 and 10, of breaking the whole law. One violation. And you're guilty of breaking the entire law. And yet when you take men in relation to the whole law, Measure them against that divine standard, their thoughts, their words, their deeds, the sins of omission, the sins of commission. That individual becomes undone and guilty, inwardly and outwardly. The curse is real. The curse is a royal curse. It's a righteous curse. And the curse is your responsibility. But you know, glory to God, it's not only a sign of that the curse is real and righteous but the curse is removed see Christ wore the symbol of the curse to the cross let me link it up with one little thought before we wrap this up Genesis chapter 22 verse 13 remember the ram caught in the thicket what was that thicket if you look up the commentator it's a thicket of thorns where was it caught the ram, Genesis twenty-two thirteen. It was caught in the head. And is not a picture of Christ. And, and Abraham said to the boy Isaac, who was a type of the sinner, and the ram was the substitute, God will provide himself a lamb. 
Abraham had a view of substitution. And he saw the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. He was thinking of Christ dying in agony and blood. Yes, it's a sign of depravity. Yes, it's a sign of great agony. It represents the curse. It's a sign of reality. But it's also a time of totality. Where was the crown of thorns placed? Upon the highest part of the body. The head. And it signifies, at least to me, that we were under every bit of the fullness of that curse. Because the curse is real, righteous and royal. And we're responsible. Bear with me just a minute or two. In Job chapter 13 and verse 23, we read these words. How many are mine iniquities and my sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sins. I was thinking just the other day, suppose we commit seven sins per day. Seven days, that's 49. Seven, sevens are 49. 49 per week. 52 weeks of the year. 2,548. Multiply that by 10 years, you have 25,480. Multiply that by 70 years. If you're out of Christ and you're 70, or 70 plus, by the time you reach 70 years, and I'm only taking seven sins a day, we'll probably commit many more, that's 1,783,600 sins. You think of our blasphemy. Think of our proud spirit, our arrogance, our lies, our bad thoughts, not loving God. And we stand before the Lord and the Lord comes and says, well, why should I let you into heaven? She would be speechless. Sins are the failure. Sins are the greater. Sins out to destroy. Sins out to damn. I heard a story of two groups of men. They're all gathered about a fence. Satan and Christ come, and Christ calls to summon the crowd to come to him and repent and believe. Satan also calls out to the crowd, and many follow Satan, but one man remains in the fence. And Satan eventually comes back to that man and says, come with me. And the man says, no, I didn't come when you called. I'm sitting in this fence, and um, I'm meditating. I'm thinking of what I'll do. And the devil said to him, no, you're going to come with me because I own the fence. See, the plaiting of the crown of thorns is a sign of depravity, a sign of agony, a sign of reality that we're under a curse, but a sign of totality. And Christ's call is to you to come and repent. I was thinking of the pain of the crown of thorns. This awful scene should move your heart. Does it not speak of violent sufferings, the mocking of Christ? What are you doing? Are you not doing the same, mocking Christ? D.L. Moody was preaching one time and he got a note handed to him in the pulpit. As if somebody had come up and handed him a note as he was preaching. He looked at the note and it had one word on it. And he would have said, fool. And this is what he said. Someone here has signed me a note. They've written their name on it, fool, but they forgot to write the letter. See, when you think of the crown of thorns, do you know that thorns, according to Ecclesiastes 7 and 6, burn fiercely with an intense heat? 
You think of Christ not only under the curse of God, but under the wrath of God. The judgment of a sin-hating God fell in Christ. But the good news is this. It not only speaks of a violent suffering, but it speaks of the victory of a sufferer. How long does it take to burn some thorns? I've seen thorns burn, and they have burnt very, very quickly. Listen to this verse, one of the 50 that mentions thorns in the Bible. Psalm 118, and it's found there in the verse 12. And it's speaking of thorns. And this is what it says. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. You see, in the fire, the thorns burn very quickly. It doesn't take long to burn thorns. How long was the Lord Jesus on the cross? For three hours, from 12 to 3, he, he, he endured the wrath of God. And at the end, he cried out, it is finished. And he bowed his head, the Bible says, and gave up the ghost. His suffering was swift. His suffering was complete. His suffering was victorious. He quenched the fire of the wrath of God. And I say in closing, he only wore one crown so that he could remove that real, recognizable, righteous curse from us. In Revelation 22, we read, and there was no more curse. The curse is gone. It's removed. Why? Because of substitution. Because of the shed blood. And those in Christ, now you can wear a crown of righteousness. You can wear the crown of life. I'm not sure all that that means. Crown of life, the crown of righteousness. But at least you're not wearing the crown of thorns. Because Christ wore that crown for you. This crown of thorns portrays the kingship, the manhood of Christ. This crown of thorns was plaited. It's a sign of these things that I've mentioned, depravity, agony, reality, and totality, you've got to think of the pain, violent, and yet victorious. Christ wore it so he could proclaim the message. No more curse. Do you know Christ? Are you found in Christ? Do you love him? Is he your Lord? Is he your Redeemer tonight? Can you see where we're coming from when we question Kendrick Lamar's motive for doing what he did at Glastonbury? It's an offense and affront to Christ because it's, his message is totally different. Christ's message is a message of redemption from sin for salvation.